Would you pray with me this morning, please? Father God, you are good. And we are thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather together this morning uh, to sing to you, to pray to you. Father, we're excited that we get to spend time in your word. Father, would you just be with me this morning as I open up your text that, that you would guard my words. Father, allow truth uh, to come out. Father, take away the things that, that are not necessary. Father, emblazon, emblazon your word upon our hearts this morning. Father, you are good, and we give you thanks this morning. Uh, most of all, we thank you for the gift of your Son, whom we can call Savior and Lord. It's his name that we pray these things this morning. Amen. Uh, this morning, I will begin a, a short series, uh, one lasting just, just three weeks, but we're going to spend some time in the next couple of weeks in the book of Hebrews, uh, particularly unpacking Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with the book of Hebrews and chapter 11, uh, might know it by the, by the name that, that people call it, the Hall of Faith chapter. And although we will spend some time looking at these men and women of faith, I want to specifically look at a, a few themes that I see run through the chapter. And, and the titles for the next three weeks will be, uh, Today, Faith Begins at the Beginning. Next week it will be faith in action, and then the 18th it will be faith that endures. The topic of faith is, I think, one that we need to hear about often. As we go about our lives, it's, it's easy to let our faith shrink, to be pushed off to the side, to allow the world to, to whisper into your ears, telling us it's all about what we can see, about what we can feel, and about what we can do. There's also another reason why I want to touch on the subject of faith. And, and that's because as a church, if, if you look around this morning, you'll, you'll notice it's, it's changing. We look a little different than we have in the last couple of years. The the pews are full. This is an off week. People are away on vacation and we're still full. We've begun topics and conversations on membership, baptism, whether or not to build or add on or second services or all these different topics. And they all come alongside with the idea that we need to have faith as we approach them. I'll be preaching this morning out of the NIV uh, will coincide with the, with the Bibles in your pews if you want to follow along this morning. We're going to start this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1 and just going into verse 3. This is what Scripture says. Now, faith is confidence in what we, have, in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It is essential. It is essential for every believer 
to understand the nature of enduring faith. To that end, the author of Hebrews denotes chapter, devotes chapter 11 to the explanation and the illustration of genuine faith that endures. He's not focusing on the aspect of, of justification by faith. Rather, his emphasis is more on the operation, on the outworking of justifying faith in the face of trials. This faith, this faith that he writes about lays hold of God's promises and the reality of the unseen world. Obediently applying these realities to present trials, to present difficulties. In chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, the author shows three things about such faith. First of all, faith is the means of seeing the unseen. Second, faith provides the option or the ability to gain God's approval. And lastly, it provides understanding that the begin the understanding of the beginning and all that is. Before we look at these three aspects of faith this morning, it may be very helpful to explain something about the nature of faith, especially the nature of faith in reference to relationships. This is a principle that is often violated and causes great damage to relationships. The principle is this. Trust is essential for close personal relationships. And to aid in that illustration this morning, I have a very short video clip that we'll play and then we'll move on. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm-hmm. Now. Do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. Right, well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust Good. you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm going to fall okay. back. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted. All right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay. I'm going to do it. All right. I'm really going to do it. <laughs> Good. Stand here, uh-huh. but face me. Oh, forward ball. Okay. I can do that. Wait. <laughs> okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes. The okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. 
Especially when you do it. <laughs> Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus, I don't know if you notice this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. It ended on such a bad note there, didn't it? Trust is essential for close personal relationships. If you do not trust someone, you will not allow yourself to get close to that person. You will not share personal information because you're afraid that that person will use it in a way that will damage you. You will not believe the personal information that a person shares with you because you'll think to yourself, can I really trust them? Second principle for close relationships is trust or truth is the basis for trust. If somebody lies to you, if somebody deceives you, you will no longer trust what they say or what they do. You will always find yourself on guard. And, and if you sense that the person is being a hypocrite, conveying that, that he is, is something he is really not, then you find yourself keeping your distance. A lack of truth erodes trust and causes distance in relationships. A third principle, truth must be expressed by love. Now, by love, I mean seeking the highest good of the other person. The highest good of every person is to be conformed into the image of Christ. This motive of love must be the underlying factor of all verbal expressions, especially expressions of truth. To come at somebody, to cut somebody deep, with truth may be truthful, but it is not loving. You may find yourself saying that's just the way I feel and that's the truth. You've not said it to build the other person to look more like Christ. So it's not loving. On the other hand, to deceive somebody under the guise of love is to deny truth. And ultimately, this will undermine the relationship as well because it erodes trust. So how does all this relate to Hebrews chapter 11? These elements of of relationships also apply to the relationship that we have with God. Faith or trust in God is at the foundation of our relationship with Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You are calling God a liar. You cannot be close to a liar. Truth is the basis of trust. If you doubt the truth of God's word, including his promise for the future, you cannot trust him. And you end up just being distant from him. 
Now, some of the things God says are, are not easy for us to accept. For example, God confronts our unbelief. God confronts our sin. But he always relates to us in love. When he sends difficult trials into our lives, whether persecution, the loss of health, or the loss of a loved one, we have to trust him. Believing that he is acting in love to form Christ in us. And if the enemy can get us to doubt God's love in that time of trial, we'll find ourselves drawing away from God, disobeying His word of truth. To draw near to God, we must believe that He is and that He is going to reward us for how we seek Him. Understanding these principles, trust is essential for close personal relationships. Truth is the basis of trust. And truth must be expressed in love, which means seeking the highest good of the other person. This shows why faith, why trust, is at the heart of our relationship with God. So now let's work our way into Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. If you've noticed, how does it start? It starts with the word now. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Notice the word now. Now serves as a transition. The word now, what it's doing here is it's setting off some sort of kind of long side note that the author of Hebrews is going to take. The reason is because the author just said something huge about faith in chapter 10. But he realizes that the word faith can easily be misread, be misunderstood, and even mislived. Chapter 11 is really the author's way of saying, now let me tell you what faith is and how it ought to work itself out in your life. The first half of chapter 10 talks about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and how he provides forgiveness for our sins. The second half of chapter 10 mainly talks about some of the problems that the people were having. In verse 22, some are calling themselves Christians, confessing it, but not really living it out. Verse 25, some had been part of the church, but had been slacking and getting out of the habit, missing worship. In verse 32 and 33, some had come upon hard times, some suffering. And because of it, we're giving up on God. Verse 34, some had started making their lives all about their jobs, all about their possessions, all about money. Instead of reaching out and serving others. The whole thing climaxes to this big crescendo of chapter 10 in verses 37 to 39 which basically says, no, don't do these things. Jesus is better. Living life is more pleasure, and He is coming. He will come. So don't give up. Actually, let's let's read that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37 to 39. For... 
in just a little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous one will live by faith and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Hebrew 10 brings up some issues about, about how people who said that they had faith were not living like they actually did. So it says live by faith. Find pleasure in that because Jesus is coming and if you're not going to, you're going to be destroyed. Now, insert chapter 11, an unpacking of what faith actually is and what it ought to look like in your life. You see, if you don't get how chapter 10 ends, you completely miss out how faith is described in chapter 11. That is this justifying faith which looks to and has pleasure in Jesus and His coming. That's the kind of faith chapter 11 is talking about. In fact, chapter 11 is basically sandwiched between these two great statements about faith in Jesus. Chapter 10 ends with Jesus' coming. Chapter 12 starts with encouragement to look to Jesus, who says He is currently seated at the right hand of the Father. Faith is perhaps one of the most slippery misused, misunderstood, and confusing things out there. Faith is a word that gets thrown around all the time. But we often have no idea what people mean when they use it. A Bible commentary, a commentator by the name of George Guthrie says that you can actually form these, these misconceptions about faith into four groups. The first group, and perhaps the biggest one, is thinking that faith is getting God or the universe to be good to me. If I believe it, if I have faith, then whatever it is, it's going to happen. I just got to have faith. It's this widespread prosperity conception of faith. So say I buy a lottery ticket. If I just have enough faith, I I could win. I need to win. In this sense, your desire is your faith. The, The second biggest one is the idea that faith is this blind leap into the dark. When you have no reason to believe something, that that something could be true, but you believe it anyway, then many will say that's when you're starting to have faith. You jump into the unknown, and that jump is faith. The third one is this idea that faith is is just being spiritual. People will say, "You, you just have to have faith in yourself. Or, I have a very spiritual faith. In this sense of faith, it's, it's just this undefined religious feeling. And it's bogus. The fourth is putting faith in, in some religious leader or in one of the other faiths. In this You're accepting someone else's creed. 
or their teaching. And you align yourself with it and you call it your own. Here in Hebrews 11, we're given one of the most beautiful, most helpful discourses on faith. It's not necessarily meant to be a full definition of what faith is, but but it's pretty close. The NIV reads, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Perhaps your translation uses words like assurance and conviction. We could substitute words like substance or foundation and proof and evidence. So it could read like, Now faith is the foundation in what we hope for and the proof about what we do not see. And notice at the end of verse 1 how it says what we do not see. That's helpful. Because how are things seen? We use our eyes. And we use our eyes because we can get a sense that things are real, that things exist. That that object is is really there. And in verse 1 it points out here that that faith, much like our eye, is what enables us to know about things that are real and actually exist, which are not viewable to the human eye. There are things unseeable that faith enables us to become convinced that they surely and actually exist. And then there's one other thing said here in this verse. That faith not only enables conviction of unseeable things, but also the assurance of things hoped for. Hope. A hope that points to the future. A hope that points to Christ's return. A hope of the resurrection. A hope of glorification. A hope that we will someday reign with Christ. A.W. Pink uses the analogy of two men standing on the deck of a ship, looking in the same direction. One sees nothing. But the other man sees a a distant steamer coming towards them. The difference is the first man is, is looking with his unaided eye, whereas the second man is looking through a telescope. Faith is the telescope that brings the future promises of God into present focus. Faith enables us to see the unseen world that natural man cannot see. Before we leave verse 1, to illustrate how faith worked in the lives of, of three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, which, which caused the offended king, to to threaten to throw them into a blazing furnace. The response that they give shows that by faith they were making real in their present crisis 
the future promises of God regarding eternal life. By faith, they saw the unseen God as more real than the arranged, the arranged king standing in front of them, threatening to roast them alive. Their answer oozes, it overflows with faith in an unseen God. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You may be thinking that's a great story. But what if God had not delivered them? What if they had been burned to death? The answer is that they would have died in faith and God would have rewarded them abundantly through eternity in heaven. Many martyrs have, have died at the stake because of their faith. One particular example, the Roman Catholic Church promised Jan Hus, the Czech martyr, safe passage to a hearing. After he arrived, they said, we promised you safe passage, but not safe return. They threw him in prison and condemned him to death because he disagreed with the corrupt practices that went against Scripture. And as they burned him at the stake, he died singing. How could he do that? How in the midst of the flames, licking up his legs, could he begin to sing? His faith made real in the presence the future promises of God. His faith proved the reality of the unseen God was greater than the reality of the flames that burned him to death. So as we look at this theme of enduring faith, the author of Hebrews, the first point is that the faith that, that faith is the means of seeing the unseen. Our second point this morning is faith is the means of gaining God's approval. Verse two reads, This is what the ancients were commended for. The clear implication is that. The approval comes from God. The word often, the world often ridicules and despises a person who lives by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 to 26, which we will touch on next week, we read about Moses, who refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. He considered the promise of God greater than the riches of Egypt. Imagine what those in the Egyptian court must have said about Moses. He walked away from wealth and prestige of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, only to lead a ragtag bunch of common slaves into the wilderness. 
Why would you do that? Because he believes that God called him to do that. Now, like, really, why would Moses do that? Because he was looking to the reward. By faith, he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, Moses gained God's approval, even though he was ridiculed by the world. And it is God's approval that counts. He is the one that will judge the living and the dead. We need to recognize that faith is is not a work that we do to gain rewards from God. That would conflict with the entire teaching of the New Testament. That faith is, is simply the channel to which God's blessings flow. Two seemingly very opposite things are true of faith. On one hand, it's, it's our responsibility to believe in the gospel. Because God commands us to believe. On the other hand, sinners are unable to believe because of spiritual blindness. Saving faith comes as as God's gift, not as human effort. Jesus is both the author and the perfecter of faith. Good works flow from from saving faith as their source and give proof of genuine faith. Both faith and works come from God. Let me apply this in, in two ways. First, you have, you have gained God's approval by putting your trust in Christ alone as your only hope for heaven. As we read in Hebrews chapter 10, Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the only basis for our forgiveness of sins. Don't hope in your good work, because all the good works of the world can never erase the debt of sin that you have in your life. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He will save all who come to Him in faith. Second, if you trusted in Christ as Savior, live each day seeking His approval. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. While we should never go out of our way to become offensive towards other people, our focus should not be on pleasing people. He is the one who examines our hearts. And this is difficult for us because we love to please other people. Although I am not, I am not an example of great faith. I can share a personal example. Just before I became pastor here at Grace Baptist Church of Millersville, I served at a different church and several times I had to take a stand on a few matters that resulted in a lot of conflict I did what I did because I believed it to be biblical and thus pleasing to God but it resulted in a number a number of people trying to get me fired. At one point, before we knew how things would turn out, I said to Jessica, I'm at peace even if I get fired. God will take care of us. 
because I did the right thing. We are to live to please God. And if you do that, then you will know His peace, even if people angrily oppose you. So faith is the means of of seeing the unseen and of gaining God's approval. But faith is also the means of understanding the beginning and all that it is. Verse 3 reads, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This is the first of, of 19 uses of the phrase, by faith, in this chapter. All of the others relate to the parade of characters from the Old Testament who, who have trusted God. But this is the first one. And it goes back to Genesis 1. To the biblical account of creation. We read, formed at God's command. His spoken word. This refers to the repeated phrase in Genesis, and God said. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9 affirms, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all were host. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The author of Hebrews says that faith gives us understanding It gives us understanding about the material universe and time itself and how it came into being. Namely, by God's spoken word. Matter is not eternal. God, who is spirit, is eternal. The eternal God brought physical matter and time into being by using His words alone. You can only understand that by faith. Because no one was there to observe it. The current worldview is that matter always existed. And that the current universe, including man, happened by sheer chance over billions of years. This, brothers and sisters is based on blind faith. Because there's no evidence to support it. The biblical view that the eternal God spoke it into existence is based on faith. But not on blind faith. There's an abundant evidence that an incredibly intelligent designer created everything, especially human life. You would think that the discovery of such human DNA, which shows amazing design, would cause scientists to fall down and worship God. But as Paul writes in Romans, sinful men suppress the truth of unrighteousness. They become futile in their speculations. Their foolishness, their foolish hearts are darkened. And professing to be wise, they become fools. The fact that the author of Hebrews puts verse 3 at the start of the list of by faith shows that faith in God as creator 
is foundational. It is foundational to knowing God and who he is. If you reject the early chapters of Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis presents a crucial choice. If God created everything that is, then he is the sovereign Lord over the universe. If you do not come to him as faith, as your Savior, you will stand before him as your judge. But when you believe his word about salvation, you gain understanding about the origins of the ages that makes everything in history fall into place. The author does not want us to have a a temporary, flimsy faith that shrinks back to destruction. He wants us to have a faith, a faith that will endure trials, a faith that perseveres. Such faith takes the future promises of God and makes them real in the present. It proves the reality of the unseen world. It gains God's approval and it understands the beginning of all that is. Allow me to close this morning with a story of Hudson Taylor and his ability to have faith in the unseen. Hudson Taylor writes, I was nearly, I was nearly wrecked when I was going out to China the first time. Our vessel was becalmed and gradually drifting upon the coast of New Guinea. We could see the savages on shore. They had kindled a fire and were evidently expecting a good supper that night. When I was a medical student, some of the other students used to jeer me because I was going to the heathen and they would talk about cold missionary. Well, it did look that night as if somebody was going to have a piece of hot missionary. The captain said to me, we can't do anything else but let down the longboat. They have tried to turn the head of the vessel around from the shore, but in vain. We had been becalmed for several weeks with never a breeze or any sign of one. In a few minutes, we would be among the coral reefs. We would be at the mercy of those savages. And they didn't look as if they had much mercy. Well, I said, there's one thing that we haven't done yet. Let the Christians on board pray about it. There was a black man on board, a steward, who was a very sweet Christian man, and the captain was a Christian and myself. And I proposed that we would retire to our cabins, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, ask our Father for a breeze immediately. And they agreed. I went to my cabin, and I told the Lord that I was just on my way to China, that he had sent me, and that I couldn't get there if I was shipwrecked and killed. And then I was going to ask him for a breeze. But I felt so confident about it that I couldn't ask him. So I went up on deck. There was a second officer, the chief mate, a very godless man. I went up to him and said, if I were you, I would let down the mainsail. And he said, what do you want me to let down the mainsail for? I said, well, we've been praying for a breeze and it should come directly. 
and that the sooner that we're ready for it, the better. With an oath, he said that he would rather see a breeze than hear of one. As he was speaking, I instinctively looked up and noticed that one of the sails was quivering with the coming breeze. I said, don't you see the corners of the royals are already shaking? My dear fellow, there's a good breeze coming, and we had better be ready for it. Of course, the mate went off to work, and soon the sailors were tramping all over the deck. Before the sails were set, the wind was down and upon us. The captain came up to see what was the matter. He saw that our prayers had been answered. And we didn't forget to praise God for so signal a deliverance from the perils to which we were exposed. Faith in the unseen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, calls us to have a faith that sees the unseen. A faith that gains God's approval. And a faith that understands the beginning of all that is. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we are uh, thankful. Thankful for your word. Uh, thankful for who you are. Father, as we, as we read about faith, that, that it gives us the, the ability to see the unseen, that we can hope, that we can cling to these promises in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our daily living. Father, that we can look to faith when we are unsure, when we're, when we're speaking about vision, when we speak about money, when we speak about problems. Father, allow us to cling to the faith that we have in you. Father, as we think about your sovereignty, when we think about you as Lord, when we think about how you spoke words and things appeared, Father, allow us to be amazed by that every time. Father, you are good. We're thankful that we can have a faith in you. We're thankful that we can believe in your Son. We're thankful that you have provided him for us, that we could get salvation. Father, we're thankful for the way that you love us. Father, again, thank you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.